Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder how often you feel like you have to earn things in order to receive them. Whether it's money, whether it's trust, whether it's love, respect, um, I think our society feels like it's built a lot on earning things. And there's a belief that if you work hard enough, you can have all that you want. Um, And so a few years ago, I was working for a charity. And the charity trustees told me that I needed to fundraise to cover half of my salary. And I spent some time really praying about this. And I felt strongly that God told me to trust his provision. Um, And I felt that he kind of made it clear to me that this meant not fundraising in the stereotypical way, um, where you kind of go and ask people to consider supporting you, but to trust that God would prompt people directly um, to support the work of the charity. And honestly, I felt so overwhelmed at the prospect of going back to my trustees saying, you know what, I'm not going to fundraise, I'm going to trust that God's going to bring in the money, as it felt like such a cop-out, and it felt like I was just um, going along like, oh yeah, I'm just going to trust God to put in the effort for me. And I told them, I told them what I felt God had told me, and they said that they trusted me, they trusted that I had heard God's voice clearly, and that they'd support me in that. And they seemed a lot more confident in God's ability to provide than I did. Um, And I felt a real weight of responsibility. Um, This was the financial financial security of a charity that I loved, under people that I really respected. And I didn't want them to be left in the lurch just because I didn't kind of come across as wanting to make the effort to support them. Um, And I should have just accepted what God said as truth. I really should have. Um, But I didn't. Um, I did the exact opposite. Um, I went about doing all that I could to encourage that provision to come in. I was talking to people. I was trying to get people to commit to giving monthly to support me. Um, I was giving out information sheets. I set up and run a prayer evening and an information evening. And none of this was because I trusted what God said was true. Um, It was a combination of me not trusting him fully and feeling like I almost had to justify why people should support me. And absolutely nothing came of it, not a single donation. (laughs) And honestly, it was a horrible, horrible time. It was really disheartening and it was really overwhelming. And I began to doubt God's promises um, because it wasn't something that I could bring about personally through my own actions. And I didn't think he was going to provide unless I actively made some effort. However, in God's grace, a month before I was meant to start, so our financial kind of, or not financial year, but our employment year started in September and worked with the schools. And so it got to August, there's still nothing really happened. And I'm like, oh no, God isn't going to provide. Um, But a month before I was meant to start, my manager called me up and he said that he had some good news. And he said, someone's made a donation, one person, that covers your entire salary and more. And there's no need for you to fundraise. And I was gobsmacked. I was like, what? Why? How? Um, But God really came through on that. And it really showed me how, um, in this case, how inadequate my own actions were, were. And that actually God didn't ask me to earn the blessings that he said he would give. And what was a really horribly pressurizing and difficult season... um, 
could have been so much more restful if I hadn't been caught up in how I felt like I needed to earn something that God was just going to give freely as a gift. And today we've been working through um, Galatians and we're going to spend some time thinking about a story um, from the Old Testament today. Um, and it was a couple who were waiting for God to move as he promised um, and it didn't happen in the time frame that they expected. So like me, um, taking fundraising into my own hands, they did the same and they tried to bring about God's promise through their own actions. Um, and in Galatians, Paul is using this story to illustrate a point in his passage. Um, it's further confirming how the gospel can't be added to, which is one of the main themes in Galatians. Um, in this letter, he's addressing how some people are adding to the gospel, and this passage is no exception to that. Um, there's no need for the food and cleanliness laws, laws anymore, circumcision or sacrifices, because Jesus came to fulfill the law um, as the ultimate sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to recap further, um, because we've been looking at this series for quite a while now. Um, and so I'd encourage you that if you want to kind of remind yourself of some of those themes to go back, all the um, preachers are recorded, you can find them all um, on SoundCloud. And so, yeah, today we're going to be looking at Galatians 4, um, verse 21, and through to the first verse of chapter 5. Now, there are two sections to this passage. Um, and so what we're going to do is going to look at the first half and where that came from, what, what that's rooted in, um, before moving to the second half, um, which is the kind of encompasses the point that Paul was making to the Galatians in this part of his letter. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along. Um, the key passages will be appearing on the screen as well. So we're in Galatians 4 verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So, it feels a bit wordy, a bit maybe hard to relate to and hard to understand. Um, but this story was the story of the heritage and origin of the nation of Israel. It was something that was really familiar to them, and it's not as familiar to us. And so I'd like to look at what happened to help us understand the rest of this passage and what it means to us. And now this story is in consecutive chapters of Genesis, starting at chapter 15 through to 21. Um, I'm going to summarise what happens across those chapters, um, but equally you might want to turn there in your own Bible just to... Um, and guess ground it in the, the wider chapters as well. So I'm going to start in Genesis 15. So God makes a covenant with a man called Abram, okay? It's, this is around 2,000 years after the world was created. We've already seen the flood, the Tower of Babel. It's a couple of generations later that we see Joseph and his coat of many colours. Um, and so it's quite early on in the Bible. It's in the first book in Genesis. And God promised to Abram that because of his obedience, his descendants would be many, and his inheritance would go to his own child rather than the next nearest, which was a slave. Now, at this point, they don't have any children. Um, Abram and his wife Sarai are approaching 100 years old at this point. 
The biological clock is ticking way past what we consider realistic now, um, but they want children, and God hasn't given them any. And understandably, they're worried. Things aren't happening in their minds. God isn't working quickly enough. And like I did with my information evenings and asking others to consider helping God to provide when he was very capable of doing that himself, um, Sarai and Abraham take things into their own hands. So in chapter 16, they're trying to bring about God's promises and provision through their own actions. So Sarai has a female slave, Hagar, and so she suggests to Abram that because she can't have any children, he should sleep with her and they can build a family through her. And this leads to Hagar falling pregnant. There's a lot of unrest, mistreatment and anger on both sides of the relationship between these two women. And it's completely understandable. It's an absolute mess. Surrogacy gone completely wrong. And this leads to Hagar running away, which I don't blame her really. Um, and she meets an angel when she runs away. And the angel says, go back to Sarai. Okay. And so into chapter 16, this is what the angel said to her. Um, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Every parent's dream, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and basically, the angel promises that Ishmael will be a man who's rejected. Okay? He will experience a lot of hostility, and that's gutting. must have been awful for Hagar um, as his mum. But he, the angel of the Lord also promises that, um, that there will also be many descendants that come from Ishmael. Now, all that this that happens is a very human effort to bring about um, the fulfilment of God's promises, <laughs> okay? It's characterised by brokenness, it's fractured relationships, anger, hurt, ultimately a huge lack of trust in God's goodness and faithfulness. Now, on the other hand, it's here that we see Isaac born. So in Genesis 17, so moving on a chapter, God makes a covenant with Abram, which I'll summarise. God changes their names. So changes um, Abram's name to Abraham, which is probably more familiar to all, Sarai to Sarah. And he promises that Isaac, who is the promised son, will be born within the year. So Sarah bearing him at the age of 90 and Abraham being 100, which, yeah, medical miracle that is. Um, Ishmael would have been about 14 at the time. So this happened 14 to 15 years after God had promised them a child. It's quite a long time to wait. Um, moving on to Genesis 21, we see the fulfilment of this. There's no way that Sarah could have naturally had Isaac at that point. But in God's supernatural power, it was made possible for her to have a son. And the birth of Isaac was characterised by God's goodness, his faithfulness, his power, rather than the brokenness and the strife of Ishmael's birth. But not all is well. Isaac was born into a particularly intense sibling rivalry. Um, and we start to see some of what the angel says coming true. So in 21 verse 9, um, it says this. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So Ishmael, the son of Hagar the slave, is horrible to, to Isaac. He's mocking him, probably taunting him. But just, and just as the angel promised a few chapters earlier. So Abraham sends him away. 
Um, God confirms to Abraham that this son will also be blessed, okay? The son will not be with nothing, but the arrangement of sending them away means that Isaac is given the family's inheritance while Ishmael has none. And this is the history of the Israelite nation. And it was a really treasured truth passed down through the generations that they all would have been familiar with. So turning back to Galatians 4, Paul uses it to illustrate his point. It's like using a story to show a moral, like the boy who cried wolf or um, the hare and the tortoise, that kind of thing. Um, But this is slightly different. It's a truth that they held dearly to, um, and it was a promise to the Israelite nation. And Paul uses it to compare how the old covenant, the Mosaic law, and the new covenant through Jesus is like slavery and freedom. Now, Bearing with me, this has been a whistle-stop tour, and it's been loads of information, and I'm not going to deny that it would have been a lot more fun if it were all in a cute little animated video, narrated by someone quite witty, Um, but understanding this story is really key as we move forward into the rest of our passage. So what does all of this matter? What does it mean for us? So we're going to go to the second part of the passage in Galatians, okay? So I'm reading from chapter 4, verses 28, through to the first verse of chapter 5. And it says this. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also is it now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So this part of the passage seems a little bit more personal. He's using the term brothers, which refers to to anyone who knows Jesus And a lot of the book of Galatians feels more corporate. It was written to a whole church. Um, And there are ways that we act corporately um, that reflects the legalistic thinking that Paul was addressing. However, today I want you to think a little bit more about our personal relationship with God and how, I guess, legalistic thinking can can sneak into our own understanding of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. And I want us to think about three main points. So the first is we are children of promise, not of slavery and persecution. Now, over the past few weeks, we've looked at the law, how it's restrictive, rigid, the food laws, cleanliness laws and rituals, circumcision. Only certain people could experience God's presence or be in God's presence. Um, And it relied on many sacrifices. And it was hard work to follow. It was, um, Paul compares it to the human attempts of Abraham and Sarah to build a family through Hagar. Um, And in this old law, God's grace um, was almost conditional, feels like the wrong word, but it relied on human effort to obey, to follow the guidelines and laws, to make the sacrifices. Um, And it it relied on faith in God's forgiveness and trust in his promises. And basically, this law really revealed the sinful nature (laughs) of human beings. It shows our desperate need for grace, how we cannot save ourselves. And this can never earn us salvation or our inheritance of a more free life now um, and a more secure eternity um, in the same way that Hagar and Ishmael missed out on the family inheritance in Genesis. 
So in comparison, God's provision of Isaac was just that. It was God's work and God's provision. Human attempts could not have matched what God was able to provide. And God didn't ask them to try and meet his standards um, and meet his promises on their own. He simply invited them to receive in the similar way that he invites us to just receive the work he's already done through the death of Jesus on the cross. And although we might see a glimmer of life to the full here, um, the real beauty is actually our eternity in heaven. Um, The law was needed for a time, but God's provided a way out. And so people didn't need to act and to be in those ways anymore. And so our actions are often good when they come from a place of wanting to love God. I'm not saying that you should just go out and not not act in a way that glorifies and honours God. Um, But it's when we make these human attempts to earn our salvation um, or when we think that we're justified through our actions rather than through Jesus that it becomes a problem. Um, And that is just willingly taking ourselves back to a form of slavery that we've been released from. And so based on what Paul shared in this passage, God promises that freedom to us and we are children of that promise. The second main point that you see, though, is that persecution is still present. And it says in verse 29, but just as at that time he was who, words, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. So I think we're quick to assume that we need to do something in order to receive the gift that God's given. Paul's writing in response to others adding things to salvation. They had to act a certain way in order to be saved. However, like my experience where I didn't trust God for his provision, um, even when we're already saved, it's really easy to slip back into those ways of thinking that we're somehow justified by the things that we do rather than Jesus' sacrifice. Now, I didn't need to give God a base to work from when he was providing for my needs. And I wasn't justified in my position at the charity based on my ability to fundraise. And he told me what he was going to do, yet I felt that I needed to earn it or make it happen. When actually he was more than able to provide and asked me to trust him and receive the gift that he'd given. And that legalistic thinking, it feels easier to see when we look at Jewish culture as they refer to the law. Um, However, it's really present in our lives as well. We see it in standards in relationships, whether that's friendship, long-term romantic relationship, um, in group dynamics. Um, We put a lot of standards on being a Christian as well. We ask people to act in a certain way in order to be accepted into church. And we put standards on ourselves, making sure that we're in a good place um, in order to to maybe come before God. Or we feel like we need to be doing something in order to earn um, time with him and a spiritual encounter. And so as I mentioned before, I want us to think about how that legalistic thinking seeps into our own personal relationships with God. So for me, I've noticed it in my own life in a few areas. Um, I know God's given me things in church that I don't bring because I have a certain idea of what it looks like to contribute to our service, okay? So I often think, what, what if it's just me who's feeling this? What if it isn't spiritual enough or it's too simple? How will others respond to me sharing something in our service? What if it's completely wrong and not what God's saying at all? Um, in my prayer life, sometimes I feel that... Um, If I'm not really inspired to pray and set aside two hours before work, then I don't feel like that's enough for God. And sometimes worship can feel the same. If you're not in a good place or if you're not in a place where you feel like you can give your all to it, um, you 
I, I know that for me, I kind of write myself sometimes off as being unworthy of being with God that day. And maybe I'll try tomorrow. Um, I think that often um, that God wouldn't want my half-heartedness when in reality he asks us to come as we are and, him, and we are invited to invite him to work regardless um, of where we're at. And I definitely am unworthy, but it doesn't rely on me. It relies on Jesus' sacrifice, which is constant and such a gift. And thankfully, over time, God's been really chipping away at these legalistic ways of thinking where I kind of assume that his love and salvation relies on something that I'm doing. And thankfully, I now feel a lot freer than I used to. And I'll bring myself, whether I'm fully living for God or a bit half-hearted, just being thankful that it doesn't rely on me, um, but on Jesus. And it's easy to slip back into that place, but God, through his Holy Spirit, is slowly helping me to recognise when that is happening. And so maybe you can relate. Maybe you're like, what is she going on about? But chances are you can find some, you can relate in some way to what I'm saying um, or can apply it to something different in your life as to where you feel like you have to be a certain way in order to come before God. Now, Paul promises in this passage that it's always going to be the case. (laughs) Um, It will be, um, let me find the verse. Just as he is born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. It was now then, written to the Galatians, it's now, it's now now for us. And so it will always be the case. We'll constantly be tempted to, to go back into that place of legalistic thinking. And thankfully, God doesn't leave us here, which is it's amazing, it's awesome. And that leads us to our final point, which is to stand firm. And this passage ends with a really famous verse. Um, the amount of times I've had this written in cards or I've had it texted to me, um, but it says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I love this verse. I feel constantly challenged by it. And there's a way of thinking that I think really resonates with me that can help us think about how we stand firm. And it's called the cycle of grace and the cycle of works. You might have heard about it. Um, It's a term coined by Frank Lake and Emil Brunner. And they wanted to understand why people who are serving God in missional capacity, so people who are going abroad and sharing the gospel, or people who are actively trying to serve God throughout their life, um, they wanted to understand why these people were burning out. And so they came up with this way of understanding what's happening. And they proposed two things. They proposed that in a cycle of works, okay, we try and be fruitful in our own strength. And in order to see ourselves as significant in God's eyes, we have to be fruitful. Okay? Through this fruitfulness and through seeing ourselves as significant, we then are sustained by that sense of significance and by everything that comes from our good works. And from there, we then feel that we are acceptable to God. When in reality, it's actually the complete opposite. And that is the cycle of grace, which is is the reality of our salvation. We're accepted, okay? We're accepted first. Because of this, we learn that we're significant as we are. And knowing that we're accepted and significant in the eyes of God is what sustains us. It's what keeps us going. It's what um, fills us with the desire to honour God. And it's out of that sustenance that God gives that we're fruitful for his glory. Now, we don't have to change in order to be accepted. We're invited to change from our ways because God doesn't leave us where we are. But we can only do this through the power of his provision, through the Holy Spirit. 
fruitfulness is the last thing to fall into place. And I think a lot of us find that this legalism and persecution can sneak into our walk with God. Like Abraham and Sarah, we find ourselves trying to bring about God's work in our own strength. The result is tiredness, difficulty, frustration, when in reality we're children of promise. We're like Isaac and we can fully rely on God's promises and his faithfulness. Now it can be hard. Um, and Paul says that we have to stand firm and not let, not let ourselves um, slip back into those ways of thinking. 